Uh, yeah, we're friends in the Dharma. We're, um, and that's a that's a very uh, that's a very beautiful kind of friendship. Um, sometimes, sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we may feel quite alone, uh, and we we imagine that that we. We don't have anybody that we connect to, and and we feel quite separate and isolated, and that's that's very painful. It's a it's a very painful kind of feeling to feel to feel alone, and um, and it comes from uh, experiencing things that are painful and that we don't feel we can share with others. Um, and, uh, you know, or, or, or perhaps also we, we imagine that, that the connections that we do have with others are, are all painful, painful ones. So, so this kind of perspective comes up sometimes and it's, um, it's suffering to feel that. Um, and the truth is that we're not alone. Uh, and, um, and we're all deeply interconnected. Uh, just, just by virtue of being alive, we're, we're not alone. We're deeply intertwined in relationships. <clears throat> we couldn't have survived as long as we have without relationships. Uh, just just uh, the vulnerability of being a child and um, needing nourishment and needing shelter and needing protection. Now, however it was that our parents provided or provided imperfectly or um, still uh, we survived and probably were nourished and and educated and supported in various ways um, feeling alone um, is a feeling it's a thought and uh, and it's also an illusory thought, an illusory, uh, it's a feeling which is painful, um, but feelings are feelings and it's not that feelings are true or false, it's just how we feel, but thoughts can turn into beliefs and, um, and, we, uh, and we can have beliefs that are wrong beliefs, mistaken beliefs. So our, our, our practice in meditation uh, and in Dharma develops our capacity to, to perceive and, and live deeply knowing our interconnectedness with other human beings and with all of life. Mm. 
in our in our meditation and in our uh, living our practice we see the conditionality of everything that that comes up so so we uh, we may have we may have a um, you know a thought which is a memory which maybe has a painful feeling or maybe has a pleasant feeling and then and then we begin to uh, reflect about our lives and 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 come to conclusions about our lives based on a thought or a memory and um, and in meditation we begin to see that practice we begin to kind of um, deconstruct to unwind to sort of recognize um, well feelings are connected to body sensations and thoughts and and they arise they arise they come and go and I don't have control over you know what is coming up in my feelings feelings are just feelings they just they arise, as it says in the Dharma, they arise selflessly. And so, with mindfulness, we, we begin to give more space to that coming and going of feelings, thoughts. And, we, and in that space, we have the capacity to to choose what are the conditions, what are the relationships that are helping us, that are supporting us, that, you know, these rela- relationships in which we share um, an aspiration to be free, to be loving. Every step, I'm very aware that every step of my journey in the Dharma has been connected to um, Dharma friends, Dharma teachers, um, or perhaps even if not people that I've shared time with personally, uh, perhaps people whose books I've read or... or, um, whose voices I've heard on podcasts. So all of my wholesome developments, all of the, the ways that I've, I've journeyed in the Dharma that have brought me more happiness, freedom, kindness, compassion, uh, are an, in a network of wholesome relationships. <clears throat> Ananda uh, once said, one of Ananda, um, so the Buddha had uh, an attendant, a personal attendant, um, uh, for 25 years. He had had a number of personal attendants uh, in the first part of his teaching, but then, you know, um, he would find that they would come and go, and he, he really wanted to find... Uh, a personal attendant that that um, with whom he could really work and have uh, 
a really great, you know, a good relationship uh, where there was mutual support. And so, you know, he asked his assembly, you know, who would like to be my personal attendant? And, um, and, and everyone in the assembly raised their hand, uh, except for one, uh, and that was Ananda. And Ananda was actually Buddha's cousin, and um, and uh, and he was asked. I don't remember if it was by the Buddha or somebody. He he said, "Why didn't you raise your hand, Ananda?" He said, "Well, you know, if I I think that I could trust the Buddha to to choose the person that you know would would be best to work with him." And so he just you know so anyway so Ananda was was the Buddha's attendant, uh, personal attendant, assistant for for um, 25 years. And, um, and they had a beautiful relationship. And sometimes Ananda would just uh, say things to the Buddha, kind of to check them out, you know. And, and one day he said to the Buddha, you know, I think that spiritual friendships, I was talking about, you know, in the community and, um, and the relationships that he had with people there. So I think that spiritual friendships is half of the holy life. And, and the Buddha said, no, Ananda, don't say that. Spiritual friendships is the whole of the holy life. And he said, and it starts with, you know, my friendship with all of the assembly. Um, the assembly was the monks and the nuns and the laymen and the laywomen who followed his teaching. And um, and another time, the Buddha said, you know, when you see the Dharma. When you understand the Dharma, you see me. So I, I put those together, and I, I, um, I put together that that our our friendships in the Dharma are like quite like the friendships of the Sangha at the time of the Buddha. That they are the whole of the holy life of the the wholesome life, the healing life. Those words all are connected, whole, wholesome, holy, healing. <clears throat> and, um, and so we, in relationships, we, we find ways to allow our hearts to open. We find ways, we notice uh, all kinds of feelings that come up, preferences, um, uh, jealousies, uh, competitions. It's not all, it's not all rosy. Sometimes it's, sometimes in relationships, what's reflected back to us when we're mindful is, <coughs> is habits of mind that are um, unskillful, and that cause us pain. And so, um, 
So we discover these in relationships. So relationships are are very um, key. They're very key to uh, to our practice, to to the practice of uncovering those old habits that drive us and that uh, create, you know, that that drive us sometimes down the road to suffering and and developing new habits, new skillful ways of being that lead us to freedom. And it's we're focusing on relationships, but it's it's not just relationships, it's it's all of life that holds us. All of life is a web, an interconnected web that, um, that is uh, part of who we are and we are part of, of that. Just by our breathing in and out, breathing air in and out, we're manifesting our interdependence. Uh, profound interconnection, by eating food that grows from the earth, by drinking water, um, we are, uh, it's a manifestation of, of our interdependence. And in so many other ways, um, the world supports us. The world uh, the, the chair is there to sit on. Um, the door is there to open. Uh, the tree is there to shelter us and to inspire us to open our heart. I heard uh, somebody said recently that I was on retreat with how um, when she was on retreat once and they were going out to do walking meditation and uh, the teacher said to her or said to the group the trees know you're there you know we know the trees are there but she said you know she heard that and she really heard it and it changed her life. The um, awareness of the sensitivity of trees. The life around us um, is uh, breathing with us. Trees breathe out, we breathe in. Trees breathe out oxygen. We breathe it in, we breathe out CO2, the trees breathe it in. We're in a mutuality with all of the flora in the world. The flora, the fauna are interdependent. There's a mutuality. There's a poem that um, I like that kind of fits here. I'd like to read it to you. It's, um, it's a poem by David White. It's 
called Everything is Waiting for You. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and to invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. And so all of these, all of the life around us, which is all unutterably themselves, invites us to also be unutterably ourselves. To, to, to enter into relationship, into friendship, with the joy of authenticity, of simply being who we are, which is always enough. And in a way, uh, the relationship (coughs) calls us into intimacy with ourselves. I mentioned on on Friday, uh, Thursday night, um, when when I talked about the the planning of this um, of this retreat, kind of the the germination of the idea of doing a retreat on relationships, and uh, and um, and talked about how uh, you know the, I, I had a discovery. Um, that that wounding wounding in relationships is a really um, deep part of discovering how we suffer and how to become free of suffering. And 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 I realized that you know the teachings on on um, you know how to release grasping and hatred and aversion and delusion in the mind um, aren't really enough to to uh, heal the wounds that we've experienced in relationships and being perhaps excluded or 
or even abused, um, that, uh, that, a, that a different kind of healing is needed. And, and part of that healing, perhaps uh, not all of it, perhaps sometimes we need special, special support, special accompaniment in the, in this, in the healing, in the wounding in relationships. Um, but part of it is uh, the enjoyment of, of, of loving and uh, honest and, uh, and ethical, kind relationships. And so, um, so part of that is, you know, as I was talking about a little bit earlier, of choosing, of, of recognizing where are the relationships where we're um, kind of sharing these experiences, these values, these aspirations, um, common vision, and um, and then another part is a mindfulness practice uh, in order to enter into relationships with authenticity, with honesty, with kindness, uh, with non-harming. We need to be mindful within ourselves, and 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 mindfulness. As we develop mindfulness, in a way, it's the quality of intimacy within ourselves. It's um, it's becoming intimate. It's listening to our hearts. It's um, it's truly knowing what's coming up, and being honest. You know, so being honest when. Being honest when uh, when there's jealousy, you know. Um, being honest when there's resentment, and also being honest when there's love. Um, being honest when when somebody's words carry so much wisdom that it feels like our heart is just cracking open. So much compassion just transforms us. Being being open and present within ourselves. And so that, that intimacy helps us to, to know if we're holding a sense of guilt. Guilt can be one of the most um, heavy and, and um, uh, binding kinds of mind states that we're blaming ourselves over and over and over again for things that happened in the past that were not done or were done that we feel were in some way harmful to ourselves to others and um, and and there's this self-judgment that happens in which somehow we we divide ourselves from ourselves and and we're standing there looking out, uh, looking back at ourselves. We're standing outside looking back at ourselves and say, oh, you failed. You know, you didn't, you didn't measure up. You, uh. And so it's really important to, to work with those, those um, important feelings, to open to them. And um, 
and to find ways to uh, resolve them, to perhaps accept that uh, that was that was just what happened at the time. That that's who we were at the time. Um, we did as well as we could. There's a saying, forgiveness is giving up on having had a better past. So, so giving up on having the ideal past that we imagined we would have liked, and accepting that, that this, however our life has unfolded, it brings us to where we are now, which is right here, right here in this very beautiful space and time and gathering which is good and there must there must be a lot of good in your uh, in your choices in your in the ways that you responded and related in your life that um, brought you to this time and space to to do this work toward toward freedom, freedom from freedom from suffering, freedom from causing harm. So there are important practices that are taught in the Dharma about um, about cultivating skill and joy and kindness in relationships. Um, one of them is, uh, one very important way is, is the cultivation of ethics. Um, as we, we took the five precepts, as we began our, uh, our retreat together and and we uh, spoke those vows not to kill, not to uh, harm with untruth, with taking what it, what's not offered to us, not to create harm through rec uh, carelessness and sexuality, or, and not to take intoxicants which cause heedlessness in the mind. Um, so having a sense of integrity, having a conscience which feels clear uh, is a foundation for a calm and settled mind. And that's, that's a good basis from which to engage in relationships. And another and I'm covering so much territory. All of these, all of these things could be talked about at great length. Um, but I'm wanting to kind of give an overview to share a framework in which we think about the importance of relationships in our um, in our human development and our spiritual development. So another important very essential part 
is um, is cultivating and opening the heart to the quality of love which is already there. And um, and when we educate our heart about love, we can kind of discern in the ways that we relate that there are some kinds of uh, love, what we call love. The, the word love is used for a, a, a diverse range of experiences. So part of what we call love is pleasant sensual experience. And so sometimes we're drawn to an experience and it could be food, it could be it could be <coughs> walking outside, it could be um, could be being with somebody, being with somebody um, sexually, being with somebody just who makes us feel good in our bodies, uh, and and so that's that's human, and that's not bad. Um, it's part of it's part of what we call uh, love. It might be also called desire, but it's. In Buddhism, it's, it's not that that is bad. It's, it's to recognize that it's limited. That it doesn't sustain, you know, um, it doesn't sustain us. That, and if we're dependent on sensual experience uh, for our happiness, you know, we're always looking for more. Right? So we can, and this is kind of the root of addiction. And we can have addiction in well, it's not only sexual uh, pleasure, but you know, just always wanting, you know, to engage. I mean, Facebook is a way that you know, we get addicted in relationships. Uh, always being, you know, texting, always needing to hear from somebody to hear that ping that a text has come in or something. It's get that, af- you know, affirmation that yes, somebody's thinking of me. Um, and and even emotional love, you know, emotional love is also there's nothing wrong with it, and it's it's beautiful. Um, but it's also based on feelings, on that that the I really like the way I feel with that person. I really like the way I I. Um, uh, I feel, or they may, you know, I'm in their company, or they're they're funny, they're supportive, um, or they, or I, or I have a role supporting them. Maybe I'm, 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 I feel needed. I feel uh, engaged. So again, these are these are uh, not not in any way bad or harmful, but it's when we depend on things being a certain way in that emotional connection, you know. So what happens if the person who's always funny and makes us laugh stops being funny and gets 
you know, perhaps goes is going through something, or or the person who always needed us and helped us to feel that we mattered um, becomes more independent, um, or the person who was so supportive uh, gets a you know a, a job that's really totally consuming and can't support us in the same way. So, so those emotional, um, the emotional pleasantness or what we might call love is, um, is limited. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, the space that holds all of these things and gives it shape is, uh, is the love which we practice in our, our metta practice. It's the love that is, um, uh, has the element within it of wisdom. Uh, it's not dependent on conditions. That that love is unconditional. And, uh, and so, so we have uh, you know, we may have with a child, with our with our children. You know, we ha- we may have sensual love. You know, we we love getting hugs. We just enjoy looking at them. You know, we enjoy watching them play. We have emotional love. There's a strong bond. And when things perhaps get difficult, challenging, you know, it's really the unconditional love. That, that, that love that just allows things to be as they are, fully accepts things as they are. And, and, and that unconditional love, going back to intimacy with ourselves, is what allows us to be open and present and, and to receive whatever comes up within ourselves, whatever is manifesting within ourselves. This quality of metta, um, loving kindness, goodwill, um, loving friendship, allows our relationships to emerge, to change, to evolve. So our friendships, our relationships, relationships with parents, with children, with partners. <clears throat> and, um, and give space for us to receive the emergence of the other. And also this love when, when, we, when we offer it to ourselves, when we give ourselves that space of unconditional acceptance, which, which many few people find challenging, you know, like when we, when we offer that, when we consider that, to just simply uh, really love ourselves just as we are right now, you know, 
Sometimes a wall comes up. But, you know, when I stop doing this or when I, you know, when I'm more that, then I'll be able to love myself. Uh, when I first started practicing metta many years ago, when I, when I uh, found the uh, insight meditation tradition, you know, I, um, you know, when I heard the metta practice, I, uh, you know, I like it was like, oh, I don't need this stuff. <laughs> so, I give me the wisdom. I want that penetrating wisdom. And and I uh, and 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 then you know as as time went on it kind of you know dawned on me one day it was kind of a just a, a an insight that happens like oh I think I don't deserve it you know I think well when I'm wise enough when I'm when I stop being so you know whatever confused scattered um, unskillful. Uh, compulsive, then I can love myself, um, and and that's just not the point. You know, it's uh, it's um, it's the love which gives us the space to to really listen to ourselves, to really be present with ourselves, and to to emerge to allow that authentic, um, beautiful uh, self, beautiful being to emerge and, and, and allows it to emerge in the other as well. There's a poem that um, I'd like to end the talk with and it's, um, it's a very short poem so I'm going to read it twice because it's it's so packed with uh, beautiful uh, reflections. It's called On Listening, and it's by Clover Catskill. When we listen, we offer with our attention an opportunity for wholeness. Our listening creates a sanctuary for the homeless parts within the other person that which has been denied, unloved, devalued by themselves and by others, that which is hidden. And I would apply that also to listening to ourselves, to being present to ourselves, receiving ourselves. So it's, it's for the other person and it's also for ourselves. In this culture, the soul and the heart too often go homeless. Listening creates a holy silence. When you listen generously to people, they can hear the truth in themselves, often for the first time. And in the silence of listening, you can know yourself in everyone. Eventually, you may be able to hear in everyone and beyond everyone the unseen singing softly to itself and to you.
When we listen, we offer with our attention an opportunity for wholeness. Our listening creates a sanctuary for the homeless parts within the other person, that which has been denied, unloved, devalued by themselves and by others, that which is hidden. In this culture, the soul and the heart too often go homeless. Listening creates a holy silence. When you listen generously to people, they can hear the truth in themselves, often for the first time. And in the silence of listening, you can know yourself in everyone. Eventually, you may be able to hear in everyone and beyond everyone the unseen singing softly to itself and to you. So let's just sit. You don't have to change your posture. We're just going to sit quietly for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.